Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how finding an information data ohm could help us find intelligent alien life with help from astrobiologist Caleb Scharf. You'll also learn about how animals sniff out viral infections and how you could boost your memory by reading out loud. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Yesterday, Caleb Scharf told us how humans and information have a symbiotic relationship, where neither of us could survive without the other. But as an astrobiologist, Caleb is interested in more than just life on Earth. And he thinks extraterrestrial civilizations must have a similar relationship with their data. Caleb Scharf is the director of the Columbia Astrobiology Center and the author of the new book, The Ascent of Information, Books, Bits, Genes, Machines, and Life's Unending Algorithm. We asked him what an astrobiologist is doing studying information. I work in astrobiology, which is all about the, the quest to understand whether or not there's life elsewhere in the universe, but also how life comes to be, you know, the origins of life. And so we do spend time looking at planets around other stars and speculating about you know, how, what, what the requirements for life are in the universe as a whole. And that actually does connect intimately, I think, to... Uh, the ascent of information, the book, and, and the ideas in that, because the other piece of this is that externalized information, that data ohm, represents in us a technological civilization. And one of the things in astrobiology that we're very interested in, apart from just looking for any signs of life, whether it's microbes or other things, is looking for signs of technology, signs of life elsewhere that has manipulated its environment to the same kind of degree that we have. And beneath that, there may be data ohms. There may be this externalized information as well, because that's the pattern that has happened here. It seems hard to have a technological civilization without some kind of informational baggage. <laughs> you need at least to have the instructions lying around for building your spacecraft or your technology. So it all connects together with astrobiology and these deeper questions about the nature of life how life comes to be in the universe, but then also, you know, what does life end up looking like? And so I think this idea of the data ohm may be one clue to a deeper understanding of technological development in the universe and what that might look like. Yeah. Do you think other civilizations out there might be hurting their planets, creating information? <laughs> it's entirely possible. And one reason for saying that is that, as I discuss in the book, this data ohm kind of looks like an alternate living system here on Earth, kind of like a symbiotic entity coexisting with us rather than just sort of some kind of secondary output from us. It really has all the hallmarks, much like our microbiome, of being this, this parallel entity that requires us, but we also require it. And so in that case, the interests of symbiotic things are not always perfectly aligned. And so the, the apparent changes that we're inducing on our planetary environment that can be related to the data ohm may not just be because of our bad decisions. <laughs> there are decisions made in part because of the existence of the data. So the extension of that is, yeah, absolutely. Alien civilizations, if they have data ohms, may also be in this weird equilibrium or sort of temporary equilibrium where sometimes it swings this way, sometimes it swings that way, sometimes it swings towards the interests of the biological half, 
Other times it'll swing towards the interests of the informational half. And the informational half, like anything in evolution, doesn't care. It's just doing what it has to to persist into the future. So the bigger it is, the more of it is, the more um, embedded in the world it is, the better. So yeah, so alien civilizations, almost certainly if they're experiencing unwanted changes to the environment, that could be due to their own data own, kind of holding the upper upper hand for a while. So it's sort of a good news, bad news situation. The bad news? Other civilizations are probably destroying themselves with their data. The good news? It's not just us. <laughs> Again, that was Caleb Scharf, the director of the Columbia Astrobiology Center and the author of the new book, The Ascent of Information, Books, Bits, Genes, Machines, and Life's Unending Algorithm. You can find a link to pick it up in the show notes. Every so often, there's a headline about dogs detecting cancer or viruses like COVID-19, using only the power of their sensitive noses. But how is that possible? Do these diseases even have a smell? Well, it turns out the answer is yes, kind of. And it's not only dogs who can detect those smells. Now, viruses likely don't have scents, or at least not that we can detect, but the ability to sniff out infections seems to be important for many species. For example, rats seem to have specialized scent receptors that respond to the chemical byproducts of inflammation. These scent receptors likely evolved because avoiding sick rats would easily confer an evolutionary advantage. When your body, or any animal's body, is trying to fight off an infection, the immune system kicks in a long time before you get the sniffles and a fever. It produces white blood cells and antibodies to thwart the assailant. While the virus itself might not have a smell, that inflammatory response does. Whether dogs have specialized scent receptors for this purpose remains to be seen, but evidence suggests that they might have something even better. In one experiment, scientists trained dogs to smell the infectious byproducts of COVID-19, and then they deployed them at the Lebanon airport. In one trial, they screened 1,600 passengers and correctly detected 92% of positive COVID cases and 100% of negative ones. What these animals are smelling is not just the general byproducts of viral infections, but their specific scent signatures. A very recent experiment with ferrets found that they could detect avian flu in mallard poop, even when that poop is contaminated with other viruses. Scientists think that it's possible that viruses, while not having a smell themselves, set off specific inflammatory processes that create signature mixtures of volatile chemicals that can be detected by sensitive noses. If scientists could learn more about what chemicals make up these signatures, then engineers could potentially create artificial noses that could be trained to detect and diagnose viral infections long before there are symptoms. And that might give us a leg up on the next pandemic. Or, you know, we could just keep outsourcing to dogs. They're a lot cuter anyway. So there's this pretty cool life hack I've been using lately, and I learned about it from Curiosity Daily. Well, I thought it might be fun to dig it out of our archives and polish it up in case you missed it when we first ran it in 2018. So here's the remastered cut just for you. 
today we've got a simple reading trick that can boost your memory and learning speed. A recent study from the University of Waterloo discovered a mind-blowing technique that you, yes, you, can use starting the next time you read something. Ready? Here it is. Read out loud. That's it. The researchers found that reading out loud helps to get it into your long-term memory. They say this works because of the production effect. Basically, the fact that you're using your voice to produce the words you're reading can have a big impact on your memory. Reading out loud lets you visually and audibly receive the information at the same time. This study tested four methods of learning written information, including reading silently, hearing someone else read, listening to a recording of yourself reading, and reading aloud in real time. Reading out loud in real time gave participants a 5-15% to 15% boost in learning speed. While we're on the topic of study tips, here's one more. Be deliberate. Reading out loud is one thing, but be clear about what you're about to study and why. A Stanford study from last year found that focusing on how you plan to use your study time is what shows real results. That and enough sleep. Absolutely. Let's do a quick recap of what we learned today, starting with the fact that according to Caleb Scharf, externalized information, or a data ohm, has a symbiotic relationship with us humans. As in, it needs us as much as we need it. So it follows that we could look for externalized information out in the universe to help us find intelligent extraterrestrial life. Caleb suggests that the data ohm could be a clue to give us a deeper understanding of what technological development in our universe might look like. One more thing to keep an eye out for. I can only imagine what kind of cute extraterrestrial animals they all watch on their alien internet. <laughs> that they have five heads. That's right. Five-headed cats. Five-headed kittens. <laughs> yes. And we learned that dogs and other animals can detect viruses and diseases by smell. Not necessarily because viruses themselves have a smell, but because infection can set off an immune response that does have a smell. And viruses may even trigger specific inflammatory processes that create a scent that's actually unique to that virus. If we can figure out what chemicals make up those scents, maybe we can create an artificial nose that can detect viruses without the help of animal companions. I'm so glad we're running this story because this is something I have always wondered. Because I see those headlines all the time. Like, dogs can sniff out cancer. Like, I can't sniff out cancer? Who smells cancer? What does cancer smell like? But apparently it smells like something. It's just wild. I'm, I'm amazed. Well, it doesn't smell like something. Something, it creates some, something about it creates a smell that dogs can sense. Yeah, it creates a thing that smells like something. Well, yeah, that's that's what we've learned today. I'm helping you. <laughs> Are you helping me? I, that's what I do. I'm here to help. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was yes anding. <laughs> I was saying yes. And here's the correct way to say it, Ashley. It sounded like you were saying you're wrong and you sound dumb. <laughs> and here's the right thing. <laughs> I would never do that because that would be perilous at best <laughs> oh that was an evil laugh okay <laughs> <laughs> see that's why that's why <laughs> and we also learned that reading out loud can help you remember things better thanks to what researchers call the production effect using your voice to produce the words you're reading can have a big impact on your long-term memory and you know be deliberate about it if you have a specific goal in mind like if you're studying for a test I know you probably don't want to think about going back to school right now if you're on summer break, but, you know, it's never too early to start a new good habit, right? 
I found myself reading out loud a lot more lately, not only because I read children's stories to my son, but also because I don't have time to read now because I'm always watching him or hanging out. He's, he's, you know, he's not a great conversationalist quite yet. He's adorable, but less than a year old and not knowing any English words, not, not a lot for me to go off of. So <laughs> my wife has a copy of the Paris Review that just came in the mail. And one day he's crawling around and I'm just like, I guess I'm going to read you this now. So I read him a short story from the Paris Review. It wasn't very cute. There wasn't a lot of rhyming. It was literature. But, you know, I got to read it. He got to hear words. There's a life hack for you. Just just read out loud if uh, if you need to fill the empty <laughs> void of silence. Oh, I love that. And, of course, your wife gets the Paris Review. Like, that makes so much sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> Like she's she's sipping her mate and reading the Paris Review and you're like doing a first person shooter and <laughs> screaming on a headset. <laughs> that's that's what I imagine your house to be. <laughs> I play Japanese role playing games. Thank you very much. Oh, that sounds very classy. My preferred genre. <laughs> the writer for today's first story was Cameron Duke. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also an audio editor on today's episode. Our producer and lead audio editor is Cody Goff. See if your dog can smell this podcast. Then join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. 